the number one thing is really taking ownership of what you do in your body and understanding that, you know, our ideas on strength and exercises, it's not the multivitamin. Like I can't eat like crap and then take my daily pill and be like, I'm good. It's like strength doesn't work that way. It's not like I can run like garbage, never stretch, um, ignore all these signals that my body's giving me all the time, but do this one exercise and think I'm going to be okay. Like it needs to be flipped around. That's Nate Helming. And this is episode 42 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and welcome back, or welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast, where every week I glean insight and inspiration from athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running. And this week, I'm talking to my good friend, Nate Helming, who is my personal strength training coach here in the Bay Area. He has helped me to get stronger and stay healthy over the past few years. Nate is also the co-founder of The Run Experience, which is an online community that helps runners train to become stronger, faster, and more well-rounded athletes. We cut off recently after a run, had a great conversation about the evolution of his career as an athlete and now coach, how his own injury frustrations led him to think differently about the importance of strength training, and how all of those things intersected to land him where he is today. This is a good one, folks. There's a lot to take away from it, especially if you've been dealing with some injury frustrations of your own. So let's dive right in with Nate Helming. Live and direct in uh, Old Surrey Lane. San Rafael, California. Beautiful. Not San Rafael. Not San Rafael. Not like the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> um, but we are live and direct. Nate Helming, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Why, thank you, Mario Fraioli. How you doing? I feel pretty good now. We got a run in. Nora came with us up the trails. Is now sitting at our feet. I know. We ran seven and change, and she probably ran nine. <laughs> A little, little with a little bit more vert in there. She gets some good miles. And how often do you run with Nora Dog? So Nora, our rescue dog now of three years, we think she's about four. Will probably get fifteen to twenty miles a weekend. Uh, less in the summer when it's just warmer. I'll take her for shorter runs. But like this time of year, it's like. The trails are like wet. It's like a lot of dew. There's like these awesome puddles for her to like splash through and stay cool. Like it is just like she is just galloping out there. She's as a natural to, born trail runner. She really is. She loves it. Um, when you and your wife Erin rescued Nora, were you looking for a companion that you could run with? I don't know if like a dog I could totally run with was totally at the top of my list. Um, I don't know if I was interested in taking a dog that I could go out for 10 to 15 miles with. I think some shorter runs is great. Um, I've had some friends who've gotten a dog where they're super active. The dog ended up being super lazy. So it's just kind of this funny, ironic thing, but it's been, it's been really fun to be able to run with her and, and share that. Cool. Let's get into things. I think a good place to start is how we first became introduced to one another, which I was thinking about this a little while ago, was almost eight years ago now, believe it or not. My goodness. Have we known each other that long, Mario? We've known each other that long, 
and you have lived up here in the Bay Area throughout that entire time. And I was in San Diego working for competitor.com when I got an inquiry from a Nate Helming who I'd never heard of. And he was interested in writing some strength training articles for this little website that I managed. That's right. I remember that. I think I can't remember what my first article was, but it might have been something like better push-ups for better running that or was, something like that. That was the article. And those of you listening out there in podcast land can still find that on <laughs> competitor.com with some photos of babyfaced Nate Helming. Pre-beard. Pre-beard. And now you are kind of known for your beard. I've been out with you in public and because of your presence on YouTube and in other places, you are a very recognizable figure in some aspects of the running world. But way back then, there was no signature beard that was the Nate Helming dead giveaway. (laughs) Yeah, that is funny. I can't believe that was that long ago. But yeah, that makes sense. 2010. Let's rewind to that time. What were you doing in 2010? So 2010, I was competing as a triathlete, uh, and I was never going to make it anywhere big per se, but uh, I was really trying to get my pro card for triathlon. And I was really trying to just say I could race as a professional triathlete out of college. And at the time, I had stumbled my way into this gym called San Francisco CrossFit because on my journey in triathlon and and running, uh, like maybe many of you out there, um, I got, you know, banged around and dinged up a little bit and was always that person was more on the uh, injured side of things. Like I was not the teammate who never got hurt. I was always the person who was dealing with something at some point. And what were the injuries that you were dealing with at that time? A big thing that sidelined me, I think two years ago in 2008, I had what got me thinking about my whole pro card thing was I had um, won my age group at some major races, um, a race down in Oceanside, um, the 70.3, which is the half Ironman triathlon, which for those of you guys who aren't fully sure what that is, that's a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike, and then a full half marathon run, 13.1 off of it. And I had... um, won my age group and qualified for the Kona Ironman World Championships, which was like our Super Bowl. And was training for it super hard all summer. And I got this just weird hamstring injury that no one could figure out. Like if I had torn my ACL, it would have been an easier problem to solve. But because I got MRIs, it didn't, nothing showed up. There's nothing broken. Uh, I got cortisone shots that didn't really work. I just tried different massage techniques. I kind of tried everything and no one really had an answer. There's no clear fix. There's no clear fix. I was that annoying athlete that just like slipped through the cracks of all present solutions. Okay. So you're training yeah. at a pretty high level in triathlon qualified for Kona world championships. What were you doing professionally at the time? So professionally at the time to feed my triathlon habit, I was starting really what has since become a coaching career. I just started to coach a few friends on the side. And uh, because I was dealing with injuries, I was always interested in strength training. The (laughs) funny story, the physical therapy clinic that I had been seeing as a patient eventually hired me as a PT aide 
um, which was kind of unusual because most PT aides, they do it as part of the PT school. I wasn't necessarily interested in that, but I just, I think I asked so many questions. They were just like, you should just work for us for a little while. And what was your introduction to the strength training world as a triathlete while you were dealing with this hamstring injury? You know, so interestingly, I was doing strength training the whole time, but it just looked different. I think that I was, I had some strength, some periodized strength programs written out by my coaches at the time who were fantastic. And, uh, just your triathlon coaches, just my triathlon coaches. And, and at the time that was a per- very progressive thing that they had me on the machine doing a leg press or doing lat pull downs or doing hamstring curls and knee extensions and exercises on the Swiss ball. Like I, I kind of felt like I was on the cutting edge, you know, working with some of that stuff in there at the time. And I know you had a lot of frustrations trying to solve this hamstring injury. Take me through that process. How many different eggs did you throw against the wall that just kept breaking on you uh, and adding to your injury frustrations? Well, and this is something that I think everyone can relate to. It's it's one thing if you're injured with no deadline and you're like, oh, I'm hurt. I'll take some time off and I can go. Like the setting was I qualified for Kona, this potential once in a lifetime situation. My whole family was flying out from the East Coast to Hawaii to watch me this race, to watch me in this race. It's, it's in August and uh, I'm supposed to be building up for an Ironman, meaning there were weeks where I could barely run two or three miles without hamstring pain when I was supposed to be running 18 to 20 miles and doing 100 mile runs with the 10 mile brick run and this massive- mile ride, you mean? 100 mile run, yeah, 100 mile <laughs> rides. You know, I'll save those, uh, those 100 mile runs for you ultra guys out there. But uh, these, these, just this massive training, like August and September is supposed to be the time you were just eating your fill of training as much as you can for this August race. And I am just sitting and idle and it was so frustrating. So I was going to see my physical therapist, Julie, twice a week, and she would take me through just a little manual massage. But then I'm doing a lot of, you know, glute exercise strengthening. You know, I think a lot of runners can relate to this who've dealt with an injury. It's somehow, you know, all roads lead back to not Rome. It's like your butt. It's like my glute medius wasn't strong or as strong as it could be. So I was doing a lot of sidestep exercises, clamshells, things like that. But uh, nothing was really catching. And I was getting massaged once a week. Um, I was doing different types of cross training. I did a lot of water running, Mario. And I mean a lot of water running, so much so that I would don my triathlon uh, wetsuit and I would go out to Chrissy Field and I would just water run parallel to the beach for like an hour. In the ocean. In the ocean. You were and that guy. I was that I was that guy. And I remember a few times there'd be some dog owners that would like throw the tennis ball just think just for their dogs to run out, and then they would like almost hit me, and then their dogs were out by me. It was it was a mess. Man, it's no fun being an injured athlete. I can't imagine it's any more exciting to be an injured athlete in a wetsuit water running in the ocean while you're trying to train for the Ironman World no, it's, it's Championships. Not, it's not where you want to be. And yeah. then, you know, as the race gets closer and you're not getting better, you have to start doing these negotiations with yourself. You're like, well, maybe I can't do the full swim, bike, and run. Maybe I can just do the swim and the bike. 
and then a couple more weeks go, training's not really getting any better, and then it's like, well, hmm, is it even worth bringing your bike to Hawaii if you're not going to race? And it's like, maybe I'll just enter and do the swim. And then you get to the point where it's like, man, I'm just, I'm not going to race. So I just, I remember being so depressed at the sideline watching that race. And the next day, you know, everyone's walking around the island all sore. So you didn't sore. even start. I didn't even start. Everyone has their orange competitor bands on. And I, at the time, I think just finishing and participating in the beginning, I was like, I want to take over the world, show everyone that I'm here, do super well. Towards the end, I was just, I was just like, I just wanted to participate and I, I couldn't. And I just remember, I'm like, I'm in Hawaii. I'm with my family. This should be such a happy time. And I was just so depressed. And then I came back to San Francisco and I went back to the physical therapist and they, they said, well, hey, Nate, um, they're just trying to keep my hopes up. They're like, ah, oh, we don't know, but uh, let's let's just keep trying. But by the way, you've run out of insurance paid visits for the year. So if you want to keep coming to us, you need to start paying cash. Not exactly the position you want to be in as someone in, what, your mid-20s at the yeah, time? Yeah, at the time I was uh, 23, 24. So they want to help you, but at the same time, you don't want to be dishing out hundreds of dollars every time you've got to go in to do these same exercises. So what's your next step? So the next step was a little bit of self-pity and <laughs> crying myself to sleep at night, Mario. Um, we've all been there. Oh, we've all been there. But I think it took me um, to go through something like that to actually be open to exploring some different avenues. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, my major race is over. I don't have this time deadline. Um, I'm not really seeing any traction here in the work I've done. I think that if I felt like I was responding to the physical therapy in a real positive way, I'm like, oh, I've improved 70%. I, I will pay to, to finish things off. But I just... It wasn't moving the needle enough for you to want to keep going back and spend that money. And it was a, a friend of mine um, who I had met on some long bike rides, this guy who's a trainer named Alex Margolin. And Alex was actually a trainer at the same physical therapy clinic that I was going to see. So he was kind of watching me go through my treatment this whole time, and I would chat and commiserate with him every once in a while. And Alex had worked with some pro tour level cyclists, including this guy named Fast Freddy Rodriguez, who is from the maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and he was just exploring different types of strength. And he's like, Nate, your physical therapy didn't really work. Your massage didn't work. Your cortisone shot didn't work. Um, why don't you try working with me instead just for a couple of sessions? And I was like, sure that point you're ready to give anything a shot pretty much okay and you get in the gym with him presumably yeah where does it go from there so one of the first things alex tried to teach me was a deadlift which is this seemingly innocuous exercise that's out there um Maybe you've seen it in the different forms of a single leg deadlift or even done it with a barbell, but I have gone my whole life up until that point never having done one. And it took him like three weeks for me to learn this thing, 
Normally, it should take about three minutes. <laughs> so I was a combination of just overthinking things at that point. I was so not confident in my own body and probably not as coordinated as I should have been. Uh, but as soon as I got that deadlift dialed in, it was like a light switch went on and it was like, there's my hamstring. And it was like immediate where all of a sudden, like I, I still had a while to dig out of my hole, but all of a sudden it's like, this is it. This is what I was missing. And what happened in that moment? Did you feel your hamstring activate? Did you feel it getting stronger? Like what, what, what was that light bulb moment that happened for you? I, I felt it activate. And I think what I've since you know, realized and, and there, there are, there are things that are magical about the deadlift, but it was more about the, the broader approach we were taking. Um, I think I previously was looking at strength almost from like a multivitamin perspective to health where it's like in college, eat whatever. And if you take this multivitamin, you'll get your vitamin C, your A, your D, your K, all the things you need just in this handy little pill but we now know from the nutritional standpoint, it's like, sure, it goes in, but it's not really absorbed very well. And the better way to get all that is probably what's on your plate. And I felt like from a strength training perspective, that's how we've been trying to help runners and triathletes. Where it's like, oh, this one little random muscle is not strong, so let's strengthen that. But let's not think about the bigger picture about how you move together this whole thing. So I was getting really good at clamshell exercises, at little glute bridges. Very specific crunches. things. Yeah, your transverse abdominus exercises. I had those nailed. But when it came to putting this whole thing together in a bigger, more coordinated movement, I had not practiced at all. And this deadlift represented one of the first times that I was able to do that. And when I did, everything turned on. And from there, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't, jump right back into triathlon. It wasn't this path back to Ironman. Let me see if I can qualify for the world championships again. You made a pivot. Uh, and not that you're not an athlete, but you started focusing more of your energy into strength training and learning about it, not so much becoming a better triathlete. So walk me through that. So the the pivot in terms of my professional focus, so this was back in 2008 when I had this, you know, down in the dumps epiphany on, man, maybe I have not been taught how to do this strength stuff the right way. Um, and that put a little chip on my shoulder in the respect of like, wait a minute, I have been the ideal student. You've told me to hop on my foot 50 times. I'll do it 51. Like I, I will listened to whoever was coaching me. I was always very coachable. I was reading everything that every running magazine, triathlon magazine was putting out there. I was seeing orthopedic surgeons. I was seeing everyone. And like, how did these people not give me this information? And I was kind of angry. So I was, I was focused on this way of training and I still had the athletic bit in my teeth for a couple more years. And, uh, while I was training, I focused probably less on Ironman and more on shorter course racing. So mm -hmm. I was just trying to get stronger and faster. And then I basically kind of got into the CrossFit world a little bit, very, very reluctantly, but, but was involved. And it wasn't 
until probably 2012, 2013 that I decided pr- to not focus as much on the training side because my um, for myself because my coaching was starting to go somewhere. Yeah, and when you reached out to me, I believe it was 2011. I don't think yeah. I started a competitor mid 2010. I think it was 2011 when you reached out to me and wanted to write some articles for the site. And it was that better yeah. push-ups for better running. And I didn't know who you were. Yeah. Remember your bio at the time was Nate Helming owns Helming Athletics and is a <laughs> coach at San Francisco CrossFit, which was like, okay, that's all I could find on you. Uh, but looking at the article itself, it just made a lot of sense to me. The way that you explained, and you had just alluded to this, how this isn't just a push-up. This is how doing this basic movement uh, fits into a more holistic yeah. type of athleticism that is going to help you become a stronger athlete and in turn a better runner. And now, for those of you out there listening, Nate is my strength coach. I'm in the gym with him once a week. When I try to be in there once a week, not quite as as consistent as I would I would like to be. And I've learned a we're, lot from you. We're taking it easy on you post CIM. Post CIM. I will be back in January. But one thing that's always impressed me about you since I've moved up here and we've gotten to develop a, a friendship and a coach athlete relationship is and this comes across, came across in your articles to me, is how well you can explain things and just breaking a very basic movement down like a push up into its its various components and how all of those those pieces relate. So I'm curious when during this transitional time for you when you went from you know focusing more on making this coaching thing a professional pursuit from your own athletic pursuits that you know, you, you wanted to get this mess. What made you reach out to me at yeah. competitor, I guess is, is what I'm, I'm getting yeah, at yeah. because at the time you were just coaching on a very local in-person level. So I think previous to my coaching, I was just post-college working at the fine establishment that is sports basement. And, uh, I was washing wetsuits out the back, renting out wetsuits. It's actually how I met my wife. I rented her a wetsuit. Funny story. And I loved that because it allowed me to train a lot. But I was like, you know, what isn't cool is $11 or $12 an hour in San Francisco. It doesn't go very far. It doesn't go very far. And my coach at the time, a guy named Dwayne Franks, was, you know, looking at me and saying, like, hey, you know, while I'm training you, um, you know, I'm my business is growing and I need an assistant coach. Would you want to do that? And so I was able to learn under him and just understand how to use training peaks, build up a basic client base. And and he was so incredibly helpful in, in that respect. And I did something similar on strength training. So at the beginning, when I was just thinking about my coaching and training career, it was just to be able to pay the rent and be able to support my triathlon habit. But when I went through my injuries, I think it just sparked something. Whereas I said before, I was like, wait a minute, this information isn't out there and it needs to be out there. And how is it that I'm only 25 and looking around and not seeing that many other people, you know, communicate to this. So I, and, and I, in my own individual practice, I was running across other runners and triathletes who dealt with similar things. 
you know, runner who had just come back from a second knee surgery and she was just falling through the cracks like me. And I think I had this urge to just sort of share this at a bigger level. I've always liked writing. And so I think it was a fun project for me to not only just train people, but use my brain a little bit more and push a broader message out. Hey, hang with me for a second while I thank our sponsor for the show, because it's an awesome one. It's my friends at Morton. Morton is the sports fuel used by many of the world's top marathoners, including Elliot Kipchoge, Mo Farah, Mary Katani, Des Linden, just to name a few. It's also what I used to break my personal best at CIM a few weeks back. I ran 227.33. I started the race with a bottle of Morton 160. I ran with it through 10K. Then I took gel 100 packets at 12, 18, and 23. I had steady energy the entire way, no stomach problems during or after the race, and that was a huge first for me. Morton's got two core products. They got a drink mix and a gel, both of which encapsulate high concentrations of carbohydrates to fuel you during your activity. They only use food-graded ingredients. There are no added flavors, colorants, or preservatives, nothing more and nothing less than what you need. Morton has a special contest for Morning Shakeout listeners where you can win heaps of free product. And here's what you have to do. Go to morton.com slash amshakeout. That is M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash amshakeout and just register with your email address. Super simple. At the end of Morton's sponsorship of this podcast, they are going to draw 10 winners at random. Each winner will get a full box of 160 drink mix, a full box of 320 drink mix, and a full box of gel 100 packets. That entire package is valued at over $130, and you can enter for your chance to win at morton.com slash amshakeout. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash amshakeout. My thanks to Morton for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. You just mentioned how you became an assistant coach under Dwayne Franks, who was your coach at the time. You were coaching and working with other triathletes, helping them toward their goals. Where and how did you cut your strength training teeth? So I cut my strength training teeth first with um, this coach, Alex Margolin, which I mentioned. And then, uh, I had stumbled my way into San Francisco CrossFit, which is, uh, Kelly Starrett's gym. And that place that he's also the owner of mobility wad. He wrote becoming a supple leopard, which was this book that has kind of changed a lot of things in the physical therapy world. And I was going through my own battles with training when he was just starting to pop up and and be on the rise a little bit. And so when I was in his gym, I was like, philosophically, this is a really um, great place. I was like, I was just so fired up that this could connect and help people live better lives outside in, in any athletic pursuit. It wasn't like, run specific squatting for this. And that sounds good on the surface, but the joke is that there is no run specific squatting, right? Because it's like, we're all human beings. We all have the same ankles, knees, and hips. Like if I was seeing a cyclist before I saw you, I'm going to teach her to squat the same way. Uh, I worked with a competitive downhill skier, uh, the same thing. The difference, and especially when explaining is how do I relate it? Right? How do I relate it to your sport where it connects with you? But just that time when CrossFit was blowing up, when Kelly was really expanding, and I just got to be around these incredible coaches 
hear them explain things, that was a huge aspect of, of me cutting my, my teeth. So did you go through the CrossFit coaching certification and start teaching classes at the gym? I did. Uh, Kelly actually invited me to be a coach there after a couple months. I think I started in the like the end of 2009 and beginning of 2010. And I was very excited about that because previously I had been working at the Bay Club, um, just doing some one-on-one personal training. And, you know, all the power to those of you who are happily pursuing those fields. But when I was 24 and 25 and I saw, you know, the 40-year-old version of myself with the tucked in white polo shirt and a clipboard, I was like, I don't know if that's the direction that is for me, you know, but when we went out to CrossFit, it was like, this is this new and exciting thing. His gym was outside. We didn't have to listen to like XM jazz radio. Like we could play whatever music we wanted. There was this grittiness. It was just new. It was just, it was very exciting. And during that time, from a pure runner's perspective, as CrossFit is blowing up, becoming very popular amongst people who are into strength training, fitness enthusiasts, people who are just getting off the couch in general and it was a means for them to get moving, runners frowned upon it. Mm-hmm. It got a lot of criticism, still does to some degree, but this was during the heyday and high time of CrossFit. It, for lack of a better term, got shit on a yeah. lot. Why do you think that was? How much time we got, Mario? We got all day if you need it, man. (laughs) So I think some of it is messaging on on CrossFit's part and on the individuals who are delivering that message. And there was such an arrogance in the way they put things out there. They didn't do it in a compassionate way of, let me try to understand you and where you're coming from. Let me just shit on everything that you're doing and say that we have the better way. I think ironically, I would have stayed on the runner's camp um, had I not gone through the injured, uh, the injured, you know, places, dark holes I went through and tried to, you know, explore every traditional path that was out there and that was available to runners. I think that on the runner's side, um, I grew up, I wasn't, uh, a runner of, of your ilk, but I ran cross country in high school. I played a lot of different sports. I was a D one athlete in college. Um, and I think we've all heard the message of specificity, you know, that's been drilled into us to such a deep molecular level that it's that anything that doesn't look, smell, um, like our sport, we're a little cautious of it. And I, and I found that, you know, when I was running in high school, for example, uh, I also played lacrosse. I was on the ski team. I sailed and it's like, I'd run in the fall. I wouldn't really run the rest of the year. And I did a bunch of other activities and it's, I could be a knucklehead and my knuckleheadedness in a certain respects was keeping me pretty well-rounded. But when I started going into the running a triathlon world, I, I bought into the, the myth that to do my sport, I, to be better at my sport, I need to do more of it. And it's, it's not a myth and that it's not true. It's a myth until it, it's true until it stops working. And I did, 
my my broad road um, of athletic skill had become so narrow towards the end that I was very fragile and I was very afraid of doing other things. So I think from the runner who has been doing high mileage for a long time, who's, you know, cross training involves an elliptigo or a bike, which in all honesty is not that different of a movement from running and doesn't really challenge myself in a different way. When I see these big technical movements, yeah, it's scary. It's like, I wouldn't want to do that either. What were some of the biggest initial takeaways that you had from your time in the CrossFit gym as an athlete who is doing these workouts, but then also as a coach apprentice of sort who is learning from folks like Kelly Starrett and others who were instructing at the time? I think my biggest takeaway was how low a standard, a physical athletic standard I've had for myself as a runner. Like it used to be when I when I took on that identity as a runner, it felt like I was tying a little Superman cape on because it's like, I can do this. I can run further. All my friends look at me like I'm a little crazy at the office. They're like, oh my God, I'm not like you. You can eat so much and do all this. Like it's this very capable thing. But then that identity can go the other way. I'm a runner, so I probably shouldn't go skiing in the weekend because I'm going to hurt myself. And these were things that I'd say, like, I'm a runner. so like, I don't know if I can help you move this weekend because like my back, it's, I don't, I don't want to hurt it, but for my long run and move this couch upstairs. And it just became this, this limiting thing. And I sort of realized when I got back into the gym that it didn't have to be a trade. And in fact, in order to be a good runner, I need to develop some general athletic base. And if I let that gen- general athletic base erode so much, it affects my running. So I learned that we need to have higher standards for ourselves. And especially when it comes to injuries, it's all right there. Like the idea that I'm just going to kind of hope that I don't get injured this next cycle or if I do. I mean, I remember getting injured, not really knowing what to do other than stop and put a frozen bag of peas on my knee or my IT band and hope that does the trick. And it's like, well, I'll take three days off. Hope that works. If that doesn't work, maybe I'll try my, my shoes. But I had a very limited tool set. And all of a sudden I was explored, well, oh man, like your knee hurts because you're not squatting well and your knees are moving this way and you can do this. And hey, your knee's moving this way and it's doing this because your ankles are stiff. Here's an exercise to do that. Like I was just given like... I had like a Home Depot in my backyard of tools where I could all of a sudden work on my body and it wasn't complicated. And fast forwarding a little bit to that period between 2010, 2012, your coaching started Mm -hmm. to take off. When did you realize that your own athletic pursuits weren't quite as important to you anymore and you wanted to start spreading this message to other people? So I remember in... Uh, this time I had the opportunity to start traveling and speaking at seminars with uh, my good friend Carl Powley, who is also uh, a gymnastics coach and just an incredible original thinker on movement and and strength training uh, in the CrossFit space. And this is the time when these seminars would get would fill out, they sell out, they get 50 people a day, everyone spending 300 bucks just to be in the room to hear. So it's, it's, it's not 
it, it hasn't kind of, it's off the peak that it was before, but it was like kind of this magical time where I'm like with these guys and he's signing autographs and you're like, what is happening here? But I had this opportunity to basically tour with him and I was staring at my schedule from my coach because at the time I was exploring some mountain bike racing and uh, then I was looking at this proposed schedule with my friend Carl where I could be gone traveling, working, speaking to 50 plus people um, on a Saturday and then another 50 plus people on a Sunday, uh, but I'd be gone six of the next eight weeks. And then it was like, this travel was intense. And it was like, there's no way I, I, I'm not going to be able to ride my bike. So that was the moment where I was like, you know what? I'm going to just pump the brakes on my training for the time and, and pursue this. When did you start seeing some traction with athletes who would come to you and say, Nate Helming, I would like you to work with me in the gym to help me become a stronger, more resilient athlete? I think I was fortunate in that it was pretty early on. You know, I think that I benefited as a young coach, um, having a little bit of an athletic pedigree that I could lean on because I didn't have experience. There wasn't any of that. But I had that, and then I had these um, these coaches I was working with in 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 my back hip pocket. So I could I could, as a very new young coach, I could work with someone. And what they don't realize is that I'm just sharing with them what I myself had learned a day or two before, and I looked like this magician. Let me show you this magical thing called the couch stretch. And they're like, my knee pain went away. And I'm like, I know. And they're like, where'd you come up with this? And you're like, don't worry about it. Um, so I, I was able to fortunately, you know, see some results early. And it made me realize the power of being around people who are better than you that, that bring you up. And from there... You're continuing to produce content for us at Competitor. I think you, your stuff was getting to some other outlets as well. It was starting to have reach outside of just San Francisco Bay Area where you lived and you were working with athletes in the gym. Did you start hearing from people outside of the area who just connected with your work in some way and it started making sense to them that they were asking you to either write programs for them or to provide more content or just do do stuff on a on a not in person level. You know, at my peak at times for for one-on-one -on -one coaching when I was really running that doing that side of the business, I was always you know, 50% in the gym and 50% outside. And the 50% outside was online coaching. And I would probably at times hit 20 to 25 athletes a month. And a lot of them were not in the Bay Area at all. They were outside uh, all over the US. Uh, a few were international. And it's funny, I think my articles had a play in that, but I wasn't some like marketing, you know, person who was like, oh, I need to start writing these articles to grow my business. Like when I first started submitting articles to you, like I don't think that was the itch I was trying to scratch. I think it was, I'm really excited about this. I really like writing and it would be so cool to see something that I've written published on something like Competitor. And, and you knew it could help a lot more people yeah. because Competitor had a big platform and these articles would reach tens of thousands of people every time 
they went out. Back when Facebook worked without uh, <laughs> having to uh, you know, pay for it. That was our main source of, of traffic at the time as well. But then you started doing some videos for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, you would write these articles and the push-up article, for example, or better squatting for better running. You would provide photos that I think... Is it Vance Jacobs? Yes, Vance Jacobs. was taking photos of you in the gym doing these things. And it helped to have that visual. But once you started doing the video and someone could watch you do this in real time and see what the movement looked like, they really started to take off. And it's really interesting now, and we're going to talk about this, you have a business, which is your full-time plus job called The Run Experience, where you do mostly video-based content around strength, mobility, running, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was sort of the impetus of it, Mm -hmm. or the start of it, I should say, at Competitor, where you were doing these quick little videos. It's like, hey, let me show you how to do a squat, and that grew to something else. That continued to grow, and now this is what you're doing is your full-time job with the run experience. Take me through that moment when things started to evolve. So I I remember the day when I realized that I started needed when I started to need to do video. And it was the 4th of July and my wife and I were were hanging out with um Carl and um his wife down down at their just extended families for the weekend and I'd been traveling with him a bunch. I had been speaking in front of a room of 50 people leading them through the very same exercises that I would then do on video. Um, and he's like, dude, you, you need to start doing video. And I was so nervous about it. And, you know, keep in mind what was, I think what was so great about my time at CrossFit, you know, like when I compare my CrossFit career side to just my run coaching career, like, like my run coaching or triathlon coaching career, it's more cerebral and introverted where I'm maybe talking to someone one-on-one, but most of the time I'm on a keyboard and I'm like looking at spreadsheets and training with, with CrossFit immediately. It's like, I'm in, I have to hold 25 people's attention and I need to take them through things. And I get immediate feedback. If I describe something a certain way and I see people looking at me funny or they're not doing what I pictured, I got tons of practice on how to do this. So I was like kind of developing this video skill set this whole time. You really were a natural. Yeah. I remember the first video you sent. It was no offense to Craig who shot it. It yeah. was amateurly <laughs> produced at the time because he was still learning how to use a camera. But you were really good at explaining the exercise, why you should, how to do it, why you should do it, and how you can incorporate it into your week. Well, I, I've heard you say some similar things with, I think, being a journalist and asking good questions. Like, what may look like a natural skill set is actually just a lot of practice, mm-hmm. right? And I'd just been practicing that at that point for a couple of years. You'd gotten your reps in in the gym. I'd gotten a lot of reps in. And what was great when I would do, say, that push-up video is that I could, if push-ups were in workouts earlier that week, I would see a cumulative 100 people do push-ups. And I could say, hey, I'm going to describe a push-up this way. And I know that 10% of you are, it's going to look like this. Another 15% of you is probably going to look like that. And here are some common fixes because I just saw it in the gym. So that kind of real world experience really helped me give a little color to the push-ups. And then 
Also, if I was describing something on video, it wasn't for the first time. But but nonetheless, I was very nervous. And I remember scheduling my first video session with my fellow coach, Diane Fu, who's also at the gym, an incredible Olympic lifter. And this was a Tuesday. I'm like, Diane, um, I need you to help me film some videos on Thursday. And we were standing in the gym by ourselves, just with an iPhone. There's no production. There's no multiple people. There's no hanging boom mic. It's just the two of us. And for two days, I would be more nervous than as if I had a race. Just getting ready to shoot these videos oh, on Thursday. Oh, man, just getting ready. And, and now, like, you get more comfortable with it. But I just remember the first time Carl's like, dude, you need to start filming video. And I was just so nervous. And I asked her. And she I'm just knew like, he was right. Yeah, and it's just like, it's just two of us standing in a gym sh- shooting a video that, not to say no one cares about it, but, like, no one really cares. Like, it's like, what are you nervous about? But I was still so nervous about it. And you started making a series of videos for us at Competitor, and that, as I said, eventually spawned into what is now the run experience. When did you realize that these videos that you were producing to complement the articles that you were writing could be something much bigger than that? So I think when my when I met my now who's now my co-founder, Craig Dos Santos, he was an athlete in the gym. And he had a similar story as me um, with some running injuries and I was able to help him. So he looked at me at this, like this miracle man. And I was just like, dude, I'm just, I'm showing you some, in retrospect, it's very like, this basic, is some basic shit. Yeah. But it's very powerful when you haven't done it. Um, and he had a, a previous business life where he had um, started an online gaming company. He had just sold it. We're the same age, by the way. I, th- I mean, he's one or two years older than me, but he's not, he's not like this guy who's 20 years my senior who wanted to come down. Like he was looking for his next play and his job and saw what we were doing at the gym collectively and saw what I was doing specifically and said, I think there might be something here. This could be fun to try to push out. Um, at the same time, I was not yet 30, but I was maxed out. I was making for a trainer good money, but I was I had 25 schedules to write a month uh, for triathletes. So it's not just run workouts, it's swim, bike, and run workouts. I had, um, I don't know, probably between five to eight hours of in-person coaching a day. That's like five hours of, how you doing? How you doing? What's going on? Tell me about your life. How are you? You know, and then and then coaching classes on top of that. So I just I was I was happy and seeing some success there, but I was like, man, do I just do this for the next 10 or 15 years? Is this all I do? Is and it sustainable? Is it sustainable? And it's like, well, I can't I don't have time to write articles anymore because I used to do that on my free time. I don't have free time anymore because I filled it with clients. So I was at that classic position. I was like, well, how do I scale? And so when Craig and I got together, it was this opportunity to be like, hey, why don't we take what you know you've had success with in the gym with people in person and turn this into a program? And the first program we created was something called the 30-Day Challenge. Which I remember quite well. That's right. Yeah, you asked asked your advice on it early on. And why the decision to focus on running? The name of your business is The Run 
experience, your background is in running, but triathlon is how you came up through the athletic rinks. And as you said, you did a lot of other things as a, as a kid, soccer and, you know, sailing and, and all that kind of stuff. But when it became time to make this into a thing that you were going to push out and see how people responded to it, why the decision to use that very strong word Mm. run experience and go in that direction? I think both of us, you know, had such a passion for running and and we still do. Um, Craig ran at Rice University. He ran the steeplechase um, and has since done some marathons and triathlons. I think like we liked triathlon, but I got into triathlon because accidentally, like I was like the injured runner who started cross training more, who said one day I might as well do a triathlon. <laughs> like that's kind of how my triathlon journey started. Um, from a more philosophical standpoint, like I think running at its most pure form is like, like think about like kids in a playground, like how much socialization happens through running. And what's amazing is that kids aren't really need, they don't really need to be taught how to do it. And like everyone intrinsically understands the rules of tag. Like I tag you, you're it. Now you go chase someone else. Like we all got the rules. Let's go play. Like we don't, no one needs to like think about it and be like, oh, well, if this happens and you do something else and stand in the corner, if this here, it's just like, we all just want to go out. It's a pretty intuitive thing. Pretty intuitive thing. And just to play. And I just think that as adults, we're really just doing formalized versions of tag. And I just sort of love that at the most intrinsic level, this is our ability to be outside and hike, have long conversations these days to unplug, to get out the, the wonderful yet terrible world, terrible world that is the internet, um, to be able to push ourselves and try different types of events. Um, I love it all. I love that it was in CrossFit, that they promoted it. And it's like, we, we should all be runners. When did you start seeing some traction with this project that you and Craig took on in your free time that really wasn't so free? Let's start there. So one of the interesting things with us, like we were not, we don't have the story of like, oh, we put out this video and it went super viral and we just like took off and, you know, now we don't know what happened. It's like, <laughs> it's like the running market is a crowded place. Like who knew, right? There's a lot of experts out there. Neither of us were probably seen as, oh, these are pro elite runners who are super well connected in the industry. Um, you know, we both were confident about our chops, but we were really starting from from that space and we were both interested in the beginning of of really seeing how this could scale as a business because and this was Craig's positive influence on me thinking about more sustainable growth which means okay how do we do a really good job with organic growth but like let's start exploring paid growth what does that look like how can we make a sustainable marketing funnel where we're building programs and because we're charging for it, like, hey, if we can pay a dollar to Facebook and get a dollar fifty out or two dollars out, like let's keep pushing that button. And I think both of us over the last couple of years have really learned a lot about how to build a business, how to grow a team, how to craft a message that by no means takes advantage of anyone, but just really resonates with the right people. 
And what do you think it was that resonated with people and continues to resonate with people? Because not only has your business continued to grow, but it's following is huge. I mean, you've got how many YouTube subscribers now on the run experience? It's well mm. into the six figures. Yes, we will cross 200,000 probably in the next month or so. I think yeah. we're like 195 or 196. That, that's insane. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, it is kind of a trip to, to see it go that way. I think the biggest thing that that resonates with people is this core message is that it's like we are athletes and not just runners. Um, you know, One of the things that we kind of started seeing this year and we've even put it on some gear is that is, is this phrase of earn your miles. And, you know, who, who am I like back in the CrossFit days, they basically said, which I think was foolish on their part to say that everyone who ran high mileage was dumb. It's like, Oh, if you're running 60, 70, 80, 90 miles a week, like you're dumb. And at the time when I was a triathlete, I'm like, look, I like kettlebell swings, but that can't really replace my pool workout. Like I have to get that in there. Like we need to be those specific athletes. Um, and so my message is now is I want you to run as many miles as you want to. Um, but you need to earn the right to run those miles. They're not a privilege. It's not like anyone gets to run this amount. And if you get hurt or something else, like, not to say it's on you, but if you have all the resources at your disposal and you ignore those resources, that is on you. You know, so how do we kind of craft that message? And I think that's something that resonates with people where they understand that they don't necessarily have to run high mileage if they want to, and they can supplement their program, not with sidesteps, but like full body strength workouts that are interesting and challenging and fun and also help them pick up their kids at the end of the day as well as run a marathon. And then that can also be crafted to the runners of your ilk um, that come into the gym to say, look, you are running a higher mileage thing. This is something you care about. You implicitly understand the risks that are involved there. So we are going to call down an appropriate strength program that's going to supplement your journey. And have you seen this message resonate with all levels of runners from true beginners to, as you said, folks of my ilk who are very competitive and have been doing the sport for a long time? You know, what's great about beginners is because they don't come in with any emotional or psychological baggage of how things are supposed to be done. It's like, I got a blank slate here. Like they're great. Um, with more advanced runners, in all honesty, most people who come in are coming in because they're trying to solve a problem. They're like, I'm hurt. Okay, I'm here. Hat in hand. <laughs> like, let's go to work. And, uh, and I'm fine with that because I went through that journey too. And, you know, we all have to be ready to, to try new things. Um, I hope that we can broaden the exposure of this approach so that it's seen as something that is important and viable for for runners of all levels because it's scalable right like everyone should be squatting that shouldn't be a discussion what should be the discussion is what days how many squats how heavy what's really impressive from where i sit is you have these people who will come to you because they have a problem they want you to help solve and maybe after you've helped them solve this problem they move on with their life and you don't mm -hmm. see them but you've also built this massive community 
you've made the run experience a community. It's just not a place where you go to get one thing and leave, but you have people who come in and they stick around for a while and they tell all their friends about it and they are part of this. Was this, was that part of the idea from the beginning or is it something that you and Craig noticed at some point that you had this and you should really take the time and the effort to develop yeah. it? You know, honestly, probably more the latter than the former. I think that when back when we were first developing our 30 day challenge, we were focusing on, you know, our our videos and our editing. And at the time we were just talking about computers earlier before we started recording. My computer at the time was so slow uh, that I couldn't use any of the editing functions. So that that program has probably 85 videos in it. And I had to import every video onto my phone and edit each video with the iMovie app and then export, which seems very silly and ludicrous, but that was what I had in my at the time my resources. So we were we were so product focused, making sure that we had something that worked and was good. And when we put it out there, we were like very like, oh, maybe we should have a Facebook group that we start on the side. And we just didn't really think much about it. Um, but soon people started to join and because I was the coach and people were messaging in there, I felt very responsible for this group. And so in the first few evenings, probably for the first six months, someone would respond and be like, Hey, good job, Zach. Hey, Deborah, nice work. Like, Oh, John, like go see this exercise and this thing. And, and I just started to develop these relationships. And, and at first it would take me 10 minutes a night. Couple months later, I'm spending 30 minutes in there. You know, another six months, it's like 45 minutes, like every night. And I was just still manually responding to every single person myself in this group. So I just I felt responsible. And then the elastic snapped, and I was just like, "There's no way I can keep this up anymore." But what was cool was that all the early adopters were still in the group, and. I was getting overwhelmed and not able to respond to people as quickly. But when I did get around to people's questions, I could see all my early adopters were writing those responses and they were doing basically what I would have said. And I'm like, this is so cool. So I'm now using, you know, like I'm fake sword movement, like you're knighted now as a captain. (laughs) And so I made a few captains out there, gave them some t-shirts and some hats, and then they've really led the charge and and our community has now seen a lot of growth. Yeah. And the company itself has seen a lot of growth. You've had to hire other coaches to create programs for you, more videos for YouTube. You have presence at some events now. Looking back at that, is it mind-blowing for you that this little experiment that you and Craig partook in has now become your livelihood and livelihood for quite a few other people. It's a trip. You know, it's something that I think we're both, you know, pretty proud of when we're not exhausted or frustrated by it in in equal measure in other directions. But uh, the, the thing, putting something out that you really care about, kind of being vulnerable in that way, um, having resonate having it resonate with people that they really pick up the cause. Um, people want to wear t-shirts with our logo on it is weird. Um, I remember one of the first times we were in Boston and I'm walking around Boylston street and people recognize would, you. would recognize me, which was a, a total trip. Um, it's, it's incredible. And, and I think building a team 
and scaling this in such a way where I enjoy being the face of it, but building a system that I could one day creep back into the background and you know, maybe people miss that I'm gone a little bit, but everyone's getting what they need. The community's thriving. Our programs are going our, and our business is going. That's that's what I'm excited about. What is it like for you to step back and see this thing that you've built, not even from a business perspective, but just from an impact perspective to see the work that you initially created. Now you have other coaches creating for you. Uh, a lot of it is free on mm-hmm. YouTube. People can search it out for themselves and apply it in their own way and just see the impact that it's had on people's running and on a greater level, their lives. It's a it's a special thing and it's an honor. And, and now it's, it's a responsibility we take seriously. You know, people, you know, look to our videos each week. Um, of course, we get to experiment and still still have fun with it. But, you know, we have moms who are taking their, you know, middle school kids through burpees and high school coaches are using our resources to help give, you know, their kids some good, better fundamental running drills and exercises to do. And if they were hurt, like I was at high school runner, they've got some good resources to, to share with those kids. And, in a lot of ways, I'm thinking I'm building something that I wish I had when I was 15. And to see parents and coaches and others share that with that new generation, it's like, man, look out. Like Those kids are going to be pretty bulletproof in the next 10 years. Yeah, that's a super cool thing. Where does the run experience go from here? We're excited to really you know, make that next leap as a, as a company. I think we started at our core product, uh, which was the best thing at a time, which was, Hey, let's shoot videos from our iPhone. We'll edit them in the iMovie app. We'll put them on a, a WordPress blog and, you know, write some, you know, sassy, snarky things that are also helpful underneath. Um, is that the best version of this? You know, we're, we're doing a deep dive into, how runners use our programs if and when they drop off. Uh, we've been doing the super fun backend building of the last six months, which is the equivalent of just like stabbing your eye with a fork repeatedly <laughs> as you stare at data and spreadsheets and everything. But ultimately what we're looking for is, is how do we craft a better experience for our runners? And that might be in the form of an app. Uh, that might be in form of just a better website where people can track and log their workouts and share and communicate with others. How many videos do you have on your YouTube page right now? Or how many of them have yeah. you actually been a part of and or produced? Because it's a lot. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want to say on our YouTube it might be 600 to 700 videos that we've done. And then on our Vimeo page, um, I probably want to say 1,200 to 1,500 that are in our programs. That is wild. It's a lot of videos, Mario. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned earlier how this phrase, earn your miles, is Mm -hmm. something that you've put on T-shirts and that you're preaching to run experience athletes, and it's a big part of your ethos. What are three to five things that listeners of this podcast can do to earn their miles. Mm. 
I think to the number one thing is really taking ownership of what you do in your body and understanding that, you know, our ideas on strength and exercises, it's not the multivitamin. Like I can't eat like crap and then take my daily pill and be like, I'm good. It's like strength doesn't work that way. It's not like I can run like garbage, never stretch, um, ignore all these signals that my body's giving me all the time, but do this one exercise and think I'm going to be okay. Like it needs to be flipped around. Um, I think a lot of people say, listen to your body, which I like slash also think that it's a lazy slash cop out thing to say because it's true, but it's just so out there. It's just like, what does that mean? And if I'm new, I'm like, I'm trying to listen to my body, dude. I don't even know what it says. Like, help me out. Um, but starting with exercises that lead you down that path. And I think that it's very reasonable for every athlete, even at the Olympic level, to be doing two full body weight strength sessions a week. So I think that's number one. Um, if you're looking for some basic exercises to start, I think we should all be good at the squat, the lunge, um, the push-up, and the burpee. If I can take those four movements, there's a lot in there underneath the hood and all those things that would give me an understanding on, okay, this is how my hip functions. And when I hinge my hip this way, this gets my hamstrings and glutes engaged. Oh, when I push my knees out, that adds a little external rotation, which gets that glute medius exercise involved, which was us doing those sidestep exercises in the first place. If I squat deeper and work on that lunge, this works on ankle dorsiflexion or extension through the big toe, which is super important for good mechanics when I'm running. So I can start to tease all of these things out in those movements with some regularity. Uh, I think I'm at two or three. I think another one would be breathing. Um, one of our intro exercises, and you can, anyone can try this. You know, the next time you go out and run, just breathe through your nose for a mile. And my friends, it will be an enlightening experience. Um, breathing through your nose and not through your mouth will force you to breathe through smaller airway, which will force your diaphragm to really contract and expand in a much bigger way. If you are listening to this a little hunched over in your car, that diaphragm is a little collapsed because the rib cage is, and so I'm not really activating it, and I'm only breathing through my chest. And if I have ingrained this pattern where I'm only breathing through my chest, when I get into stress situations, when I'm running um, at higher levels, I'm only breathing at like 50% as opposed to that 100. So doing that nose breathing challenge is, is such a good thing. So you're recommending that as an exercise, not necessarily as a matter of course. Not all the time. The next question is, should I always breathe this way? And it's like, no, like by all means, like you are... You know, you see 227 on the clock and you're trying to get underneath and hit that new PR, like suck as much oxygen in as you you're can. You're going to breathe through your ears if you can. <laughs> breathe through your ears if you can. <laughs> but this is just an exercise to get you thinking about your diaphragm. And then you should be able to breathe diaphragmatically at, at all times. Okay. All right. Um, and then my, my final one that I always love is, look, guys, we don't have more time in the day. Far be it from me to say you should create more time from yourself out of thin air to do more stretching or mobility work. 
Um, but a lot of us these days uh, watch Netflix and uh, we can all Netflix and mobilize a little bit. So you got your favorite show on, you can just as easily watch that from the ground with a lacrosse ball in your glutes or on a foam roller. It's uh, Rumor has it it's friendly with a glass of wine in hand too. I've seen it done. I can confirm that is indeed the case. <laughs> uh, cool thing about all this stuff is it's made a big difference for me personally in my own athletic journey and I have you to thank for that. And fortunately, I get to see you in person on a regular basis and practice these things. But it's all available on your YouTube page for free. Mm -hmm. You can find all of these resources for basic mobility exercises, how to squat, how to do a push-up, how to do a proper lunge without needing to buy a program, even Mm -hmm. though it'd be great if people do buy programs Mm because that's how you make a living. Uh, And you can go deeper on this stuff and really learn how to integrate it into your overall training program. But there's no excuse not to be doing this stuff. The information is readily available on your YouTube page, on the Run Experience website. And if nothing else, you can find a way to implement it into your training program. Yeah, well said, Mario. Thank you. It's 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 we love it. We love putting information out there. We put out new videos three times a week. It's been really fun to get different creators and voices on our channel. Um, we have just some awesome coaches that are up and coming. That will maybe they're not big names now, but they could potentially be bigger names later on. Um, that are are putting out stuff for us. Um, Holly Martin does a great job. Um, Morgan um, Hawkins, who just is a you know stud runner in her own right, and is starting to do videos with us. I've seen her go through the transition of the deer and headlights on camera to being a little bit more relaxed. And I'm like, okay, now this is where the good stuff comes out. And we try to have fun with it. You know, we really just connect with people and make this not a boring, unexciting thing, but just something that is part of being an athlete. Yeah, and I think it's something that's really cool that's going on in the running space right now, which is why I'm excited to share it with my listeners here because it's more than just the people who are winning the races or that you see in the headlines all the time. You said running is a is a big crowded mm-hmm. space, but I think you guys have a pretty cool signal that you're putting out and I'm excited to share that with more people here on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Um, along those lines, last thing before we wrap up here in split ways, what is exciting you personally in the running space right now? I know you always ask this question at the end of your podcasts. Should have been more ready, Nate Helming. I know, right? On the spot. I think what is fun, what I'm excited about to see in the running space right now is all of the different communities and cultures you've popped up. I know that with your last couple of guests, you've really gotten into what is running culture and how it is. And, and it's, it's, I've realized a lot of things, you know, there's so many pockets. Like when we, when I show up at Boston and go into the tracksmith store, that's a very specific subset of the culture. Um, when we go somewhere else with our people that it looks something different too, right? When, so for me, I think what's interesting is just seeing the proliferation of this and not only how these individual communities grow, but how these communities talk um, to each other. And I know that you, Mario, do a very good job of, of being a bridge and a communicator to these, you know, different worlds. And I feel like starting my 
you know, professional career coaching, I had one foot in the CrossFit space talking to b-boys and break dancers, to powerlifters, to competitive CrossFitters, but also in the endurance space, which was a different language. People dressed differently. They said different stuff. And and for me, when I come into back into running these last couple of years and I showed these different events, it's just exciting to me to see all of these different things show up. Um, I'd say another thing, I know maybe this is two. Am I cheating, Mario, if I do two? Keep rolling, man. <laughs> um, it's fun for me to see how elite runners are communicating with their audiences in different ways. Where it used to be, you just have to run fast and that's still kind of the job. But that was sort of what was all that was taken care of. And uh, for example, you know, talking to Gwen Jorgensen a little bit, um, you know, and her team, like they have started a YouTube channel following her training within the last year. And one of the interesting things for them was they said, you know, as an ITU triathlete who raced maybe once a month, she would get one to two hours of primetime footage at those times. So she was just getting tons of exposure, made her sponsors happy, you know, helped her career. But now as an elite marathoner, you race twice a year, you know? So it's like, is that your only touch points? Like, I need to do something more. So seeing how different athletes are are really pushing that out there. I know I loved listening to Ben Rosario on your podcast and what the NZ Elite guys are doing and how he's making that part of the job, which I think is fantastic because, you know, for runners, like... I don't know if anyone is inherently good at this stuff, but fortunately it, it can be taught. That's a great place to wrap things up. Thanks as always for an awesome conversation. Mario, this was so fun. Thank you. All right. I think that'll do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, or even if you didn't, hit me up on Twitter. That's at Mario Fraioli, M-A-R-I-O-F-R-A-I-O-L-I. And give it to me. The good, the bad, the ugly. I can take it all. You can also go to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to audio and leave a rating and a review. It only takes a few minutes, but helps other listeners to discover the show. And it really means a lot to me. Thank you so much to everyone who's done so already. Another thank you to Morton for sponsoring this episode. Morton is the sports fuel used by many of the world's top marathoners, including Elliot Kipchoge, Mo Farah, Mary Katani. And Des Linden, just to name a few. It's also what I use to break my own personal best at CIM a few weeks ago, and I could not recommend it highly enough. Give it a try. Morton has set up a special contest for Morning Shakeout listeners where you can win heaps of free product. All you have to do is go to morton.com, that's M-A-U-R-T-E-N.com slash AM Shakeout, register with your email address. At the end of Morton's sponsorship of this podcast, they're going to draw 10 winners at random, and each winner will get a full box of 160 drink mix, a full box of 320 drink mix, and a full box of Gel 100 packets. That is over $130 of free product, folks. Enter for your chance to win it at Morton.com com slash am shakeout once again that's m-a-u-r-t-n.com slash am shakeout one last big thank you goes out to john summerford as always from bearsrecords.com he's the man behind the audio magic here at the morning shakeout and quite frankly this show doesn't happen without him so thank you john that's all i've got until next time i am mario fraley and this has been the morning shakeout podcast mm-hmm.